You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. For centuries, both before and after Europeans began colonizing the New World, countless Native American warriors did battle with settlers and each other as they defended their land, forged their tribes, and shaped the history of their continent. And while some of their names remain well known to this day, many of their stories have been all but lost to time. Today, few know the story of Lo Zen, nicknamed the Apache Joan of Arc for her decades-long resistance against American and Mexican invaders in the mid-19th century. And though most might know a detail or two about the Battle of Little Bighorn, Few remember that it was a Native American warrior named Buffalo Calf Roadwoman who knocked Lieutenant Colonel George Armstrong Custer off his horse. American history is filled with heroic chiefs like Red Cloud and Sitting Bull, whose spirited resistance to white settlers in the Great Plains is often relegated to a footnote. Likewise, the service of Native American soldiers in modern military conflicts like World War II often goes overlooked. But regardless of what shows up in history textbooks, these warriors played a crucial role in American history in ways that reverberate to this day. You're listening to History Uncovered, brought to you by the digital publisher All is Interesting, where we explore the uncharted corners of the natural world and the world past. I'm All is Interesting staff writer Kalina Fraga. Today, we'll look at six of the most captivating stories of Native American warriors who helped chart the course of American history, even if they never got credit for it. Perhaps the most famous Native American warrior in history, Sitting Bull was the fearless Lakota chief who helped inspire his people to victory in the historic Battle of Little Bighorn in 1876. But while most have surely heard his name, few know about his incredible story, or his tragic end. Born in present-day South Dakota circa 1831, Sitting Bull seemed like an unlikely warrior at first. He was even nicknamed Slow by his father because of his seemingly reserved nature. But Sitting Bull eventually proved himself as a warrior in his teens and was soon recognized as both a war chief and a holy man. In the 1860s, his leadership was put to the test. Though many of his fellow chiefs across the Great Plains agreed to make a treaty with the U.S. government in 1868, the Second Fort Laramie Treaty, Sitting Bull refused to sign any documents, saying, quote, I wish all to know that I do not propose to sell any part of my country nor will I have whites cutting our timber along the river." Sitting Bull's bold stance made him the supreme leader of the Lakota Sioux, a position no one had held before. And when gold was discovered in the Great Plains in the 1870s, leading to an influx of white settlers onto lands the government had promised not to touch, Sitting Bull decided to stand his ground. 
As the clouds of war gathered in 1876, Sitting Bull had a vision that he and his people would emerge victorious against the coming U.S. Army forces, and they did. First at the Battle of the Rosebud, and then at the Battle of Little Bighorn, where 2,000 Native American warriors faced down Civil War hero Lieutenant Colonel George Armstrong Custer and 200 American troops. Tragically, that victory was also the beginning of the end for Sitting Bull. Furious and humiliated by the defeat, the U.S. government sent even more troops west. By 1881, after he tried to find refuge for his people in Canada, Sitting Bull agreed to surrender to American authorities. No longer seen as a threat, Sitting Bull spent the last decade of his life as something of a curiosity for white Americans. He attended events and ceremonies and made appearances in Buffalo Bill Cody's Wild West show, where he struck up unlikely friendships with Buffalo Bill himself and with the famous sharpshooter Annie Oakley. But Sitting Bull stuck it to the man where he could. Invited to attend an opening ceremony for the Northern Pacific Railroad in 1883, he gave a speech in his native language that the white audience couldn't understand, but nevertheless applauded. What they didn't know is that he'd said, quote, I hate all white people. You are thieves and liars. You've taken away our land and made us outcasts, unquote. Still, even though he was treated like something of a mascot, the U.S. government hadn't entirely forgotten what Sitting Bull was capable of. And as the ghost dance movement spread in 1890, a movement that promised that dead tribal members would rise once more and that white people would disappear, authorities worried that Sitting Bull would speak out in support of it. On December 15, 1890, authorities tried to arrest the 59-year-old at the Standing Rock Indian Reservation in South Dakota, alleging that he was somehow involved in the movement. Sitting Bull wouldn't go quietly, so they shot him. His death devastated those who knew him, including Annie Oakley, who bitterly stated that if Sitting Bull had been a white man and not a Native American, quote, someone would have hung for his murder, unquote. Though Sitting Bull is well known for his role in the Battle of Little Bighorn, there's one Native American warrior from that historic clash whose story went untold for over a century. Largely forgotten was the Northern Cheyenne warrior named Buffalo Calf Roadwoman, who knocked none other than Lieutenant Colonel George Armstrong Custer off his horse during the battle. To this day, little is known about Buffalo Calf Roadwoman aside from her fighting prowess. Probably born around 1850, she married and had two children, yet, unlike most women, insisted on riding with the male warriors as they made their way to the Battle of the Rosebud in 1876. During that battle, she proved herself as a formidable fighter. As the story goes, Buffalo Calf Roadwoman was fighting when she noticed that her brother, Chief Comes in Sight, had been cornered by U.S. troops. She fearlessly rode straight into danger, grabbed her brother, and placed him on her horse. The other warriors were so impressed that they called the battle the battle where the girl saved her brother. But Buffalo Calf Roadwoman didn't rest on her laurels after that. At the Battle of Little Bighorn about a week later, she fought bravely once more, and when the opportunity struck, charged straight at Custer while wielding a club. According to tribal history, her blow sent the Civil War hero tumbling from his horse and may have resulted in his death. Though Buffalo Calf Roadwoman survived the battle, she died just two years later, likely of diphtheria. Her story was concealed by her own people for over a century because her tribe still feared retaliation from the U.S. government, 
In 2005, however, they told it for the first time, restoring this fearless Native American warrior to her rightful place in history. Lausanne is sometimes referred to as the Apache Joan of Arc, but though Lausanne, like Joan, fearlessly fought for her people, she certainly deserves a title all her own. Born around 1840 in present-day New Mexico, Lausanne grew up among the Chihen Apache as the world around them rapidly changed. In 1848, New Mexico became a U.S. territory. The next year, the California Gold Rush brought a tidal wave of white settlers through Apache land. But Lausanne was well-suited for the new challenges her people faced. Her matriarchal society allowed women to fight and defend themselves, and Lausanne proved herself as a warrior by battling Mexican soldiers, enemy tribes, and white ranchers and prospectors. She had a way with guns and horses. Indeed, her name translates to dexterous horse thief. But part of Lausanne's legend comes from her alleged supernatural abilities. Tribal history state that she was imbued with the power to detect which direction an enemy would come from, which she determined by lifting her hands in the air, walking in a circle, and studying the darkening blue veins on her arms. In the 1860s and 1870s, Lausanne participated in the Apache Wars, which pitted her people against the U.S. government, helping to shepherd women and children to Mexico and fighting along warriors like Chief Geronimo and her brother, Chief Victorio. He once said, quote, Lausanne is my right hand, strong as a man, braver than most, and cunning in strategy. She is a shield to her people, unquote. Yet Lausanne, like many Native Americans in the 19th century, met a tragic fate. Sent to prison with Geronimo in the 1880s, she soon succumbed to tuberculosis and died at the age of 50. Our next Native American warrior used words as well as weapons to defend his people in the latter half of the 19th century. Lakota Chief Red Cloud won a rare victory against the United States government in the 1860s, but lived to see most of the promises that American officials made following his victory wither on the vine. Like Lizen, Red Cloud came of age during a time of incredible change. Born in 1822, he cut his teeth as a warrior from an early age, proving himself as both a tactician and a fighter in present-day Nebraska. And like Lausanne, Red Cloud witnessed an influx of white settlers through the Dakota Territory following the discovery of gold in California. Though various tribes had signed the Fort Laramie Treaty with the U.S. government in 1851, which promised to protect tribal lands and hunting grounds from white settlers, it was clear by 1864 that American officials had no intention of keeping their word. The Bozeman Trail, which ran through Lakota territory, was soon surrounded by forts meant to protect settlers. So Chief Red Cloud took action. He gathered Lakota, Cheyenne, and Arapaho warriors, then launched attacks on the forts, raided white settlements, and blocked the trail. In 1866, his men soundly defeated the U.S. Army and forced the government to the negotiating table. Two years later, in a second Fort Laramie Treaty, American officials promised to abandon the forts and cede great swaths of land in Nebraska, North Dakota, South Dakota, Wyoming, and Montana. But it didn't take long for the United States to renege on those promises. The Transcontinental Railroad, completed in 1869, profoundly changed the Great Plains, 
forts began to spread across the land once again, and tribes were increasingly pushed onto small parcels of territory. This time, Red Cloud turned to diplomacy, even as his fellow chiefs, like Sitting Bull, prepared to battle American troops anew. He made numerous trips to Washington, D.C. to try and convince American policymakers to stay true to their word, telling them, quote, We've been driven far enough. We want what we ask for, unquote. Tragically, however, Red Cloud's efforts were in vain. Before he died in 1909 at the Pine Ridge Reservation in South Dakota, he reflected on his dealings with the American government, saying, quote, They made us many promises, more than I can remember, but they kept but one. They promised to take our land, and they took it, unquote. years after Chief Red Cloud, Ira Hayes would establish his legacy as a Native American warrior in a completely different way. On February 23, 1945, he was one of the six Marines photographed raising the American flag during the Battle of Iwo Jima against Japanese forces near the conclusion of World War II, cementing his place in American history. By that point, Hayes had already established himself as a fierce warrior. Born in 1922 on the Gila River Indian Reservation in Arizona, he grew up with patriotic parents who hung the American flag on their wall, even though, as Native Americans, they lacked the right to vote in Arizona. When the United States entered World War II in 1941, Hayes enlisted in the Marines and volunteered to be a paratrooper. Dubbed Chief Falling Cloud after he earned his paratrooper wings, Hayes was soon sent to the Pacific Theater. Starting in February 1945, Marines began to land on Iwo Jima, hoping to wrest the strategically important island from Japanese hands. During the intense fighting, Hayes and others made their way to the peak of Mount Suribachi, where they triumphantly planted the American flag, a moment captured, unbeknownst to them, by an AP photographer. The photo rapidly became one of the most famous images in American history, but for Hayes, it was more of a curse than a blessing. Three of the men who'd helped him lift the flag didn't make it out of the battle alive, and he struggled with feelings of survivor's guilt long afterwards, saying, quote, Only five men in my platoon of 45 survived, and only 27 men in my company of 250 managed to escape death or injury. They were better men than me, and they're not coming back, unquote. Though Hayes himself survived the war, he nevertheless died young. He regularly turned to alcohol to help ease the pain and trauma of his experiences during the war, and shortly after a bronze replica of the Iwo Jima photo was unveiled in Washington, D.C., he was found dead from alcohol poisoning and exposure on a frigid January day in 1955 at the age of just 32. As Hayes himself said, quote, Sometimes I wish that guy had never made that picture, unquote. Another Native American warrior who made history during World War II, Joe Medicine Crow had a happier ending than his comrade-in-arms, Ira Hayes. Born on the Crow Reservation in Montana in 1913, Joe Medicine Crow grew up hearing soaring accounts about his ancestors' great feats. Interested in the stories of the past, 
He went on to study history and anthropology in college, earning a master's degree and enrolling in a PhD program. When World War II broke out, however, he left his studies to volunteer for the U.S. Army. As a soldier, he was assigned a scout for the 103rd Infantry Division. In a nod to his ancestry, Joe Medicine Crow painted two red stripes on his arms before battle and carried a yellow eagle feather he'd acquired from a Sundance medicine man. He later said, quote, We were a war-faring people. Naturally, I thought about the famous warriors when I went to Germany. I had a legacy to live up to, unquote. But the war would bring Joe Medicine Crow closer to his famous warrior ancestors than he could have ever imagined. During the course of the war, he was able to complete the four tests required to become a Crow chief. Touch a living enemy, steal an enemy's weapon, lead a war party, and take an enemy's horse. To accomplish that last feat, Joe Medicine Crow snuck into a Nazi horse corral and made off with 50 of them all at once, then sang a Crow praise song as he rode off. After the war, Joe Medicine Crow was honored as a war chief, the last Plains Indian war chief in history, and was awarded a Bronze Star, the French Legion of Honor, and later the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Before he died in 2016 at the ripe old age of 102, Joe Medicine Crow also dedicated his life to his original passion, history, by becoming the official Crow Nation historian and anthropologist and teaching younger generations about Crow history. In that way, he fought both for the United States in World War II and to preserve his people's histories back home. And those histories are worth remembering. While all the stories of resistance and resilience we've discussed today are often overlooked, they're nothing less than an essential part of American history. These Native American warriors, men and women, chiefs and foot soldiers, played a critical role in shaping the fates of their people and this nation. Their lives make up a crucial piece of the ever-unfolding American story. Thanks for listening to History Uncovered. I'm History Uncovered's producer, Kit Westneat. If you like the show, help others find us by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And be sure to follow the All That's Interesting and History Revealed pages on Facebook and Real History Uncovered on Instagram. Make sure you don't miss out on the new episodes and subscribe to the History Uncovered podcast. And keep up with our latest stories at allthatsinteresting.com. If you have a question about the show or just want to say hi, feel free to call us at 929-526-3029 or email us at podcast at allthatsinteresting.com. This podcast is part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to their other fine shows like Legends of the Old West and Redacted History. Until next time, keep exploring. Hello all, Eric Rivenus with the Most Notorious Podcast here. Each week I interview an author or historian about a historical true crime, tragedy, or disaster. Subject matter ranges from gunslingers to Gilded Age murder to gangsters to fires to pirates to wild prison breaks. My guests bring their incredible knowledge directly to you. Please subscribe to Most Notorious on your favorite podcast app. Cheers and have a safe tomorrow.